0: Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm awfully glad to be joined in studio by Dr. Michelle Watson. She's written a book called, Dad, Here's What I Really Need From You. It's a guide for connecting with your daughter's heart. And um, she's a got her PhD in counseling and um, psychology. And I'm awfully glad to uh, have her in studio. Michelle, uh, I got calls or texts flying in here, um, I want I want you to answer this one, and then I want to get to your story. How about sure. that? Sounds good. My daughter's 22 and living on her own. Are girls that age still dying for more of their dads, or are they transferring more of that to their boyfriends?
1: Isn't that powerful that he wrote the word dying? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I would yeah. absolutely say they're dying. Okay. In fact, I've got a case in point. Last night, here in Edina, Minnesota, I sat with three 20-something women... Two of them crying through their stories, all wanting more of their dads. All of them is I'm telling you, dads, you got to hear me. Is even that I'm 59 years old, my dad's 81. I still need my dad now. I wish I had more of my dad. You know, I can often tell that my dad about five minutes in hits the deer in headlights look. You know that he's a little bit maxed on the word count, Mm -hmm. and he's even told me before, Michelle, your words wear me out. I'm like. I'm not trying to wear you out. This is just me talking. It's me being me. And a lot of men, I get that it's a a really hard thing to stay engaged with your daughters, right? As they get older, especially more emotional, more verbal. But I'm telling you, dads, here's a practical action step. I would encourage you with your 18 and older daughters, even your married daughters, is set a routine in motion where you take them out for a dad-daughter date at least once a month. We as daughters love looking forward to things. I think of prom. It's all the looking forward to that's way more fun than the the night itself. Truly. Trust me, it's the hair, the makeup, the nails, all that detail-y stuff that we love. So dad's man, you got to hear me when I say your daughter is never too old to still need you. Cuz you heard me give you the stats from from research about The more feeling of connection your daughter has with you, the better she will do in every area of her life. And I've never heard the research limit it to a certain age range. It's all of her life. She still needs you because you're a mirror back to her, giving her a sense of her identity. Most often she shares your name. You're setting a foundation in her life for who she is at any age.
0: Yeah, that listener just sent another text saying those were her words. Interesting. She's
1: dying for more of me. In fact, let me do the flip side. Last night, one of the women, and again, I'll keep it confidential. I won't say who it is. But she literally said to me when I told her, tell your dad you want more of him. You know what she said? I don't think I can. I don't think I can tell him. And it's, I said, most men I have found, most dads want to hear that from their daughters. They want to hear that you want more of them because they don't always know that you do. So maybe you're a daughter listening right now, an adult woman saying, I wish I had more of my dad. And my dad set aside the time to initiate and pursue a time with her once a month, go to her, take her out to lunch, say, this is our day. It's the last Friday, let's say of every month. I will come to your work or come to your house or we'll get daycare for the kids. And it's just you and me. Watch what happens to your daughter's life. It will get better in every area. I guarantee it.
0: Cool. That's very cool. All right, Michelle, let's, uh, let's get to know you a little bit better. Tell our listeners uh, some of your story. Yeah. Kind of a, How
1: what, deep can I go? Well,
0: go <laughs> as deep as you like.
1: Okay. Well, I was raised in a Christian home. You know, I said yes to Jesus at six years old. And then when I was 10 years old, we moved from California. Bay Area to Portland, Oregon, where my dad went to seminary, and then I was a pastor's daughter and went to a Christian school and I went to Bible college and again I was all in always for Jesus. But underneath all of that, there was I guess I literally would say it this way, there was always this churning in my gut, just a lot of anxiety, but nobody called it that in the day, you know, in the sixties and the seventies. But it just, it just, stuff didn't feel right. I had extreme fears. I couldn't go to camp ever. Um, I had nervous habits like where I would pick my face and, you know, hard to go to sleep at night and just a lot of absorption with fear. It's just fear of talking to boys in high school and on and on it went. And so finally, now I finished Bible college. And I'm serving Jesus, and I'm doing youth ministry and music ministry. Some of it paid. Some of it volunteer. And now, age 28 to 30, I'm in two bands with a guy that I start dating, a Christian band. I'm the only girl with the guys, right? And I'm playing keys and singing. And he ends up being an abuser, mentally, emotionally, not physically, but mentally, emotionally, verbally. And one time, I wrote down everything he didn't like about me. So when we broke up, I'm like, I can't love him anymore. And I write down 66 things that he didn't like about me. Can you believe that? In fact, what's crazy is about two months ago, I found that journal where I had written it in the back of that journal. And I read it to my dad like he didn't like my black dishes. There were things I hadn't remembered on the list because literally this was 30 years ago to Mm -hmm. the year. He didn't like my black dishes. He didn't like how I greeted him at the door. I said, cute too much and awesome. I drew smiley faces like silly things. But my parents say in those years they lost me, I just shut down because I didn't want to, quote, get in trouble. Now, you think, why would a vibrant pastor's daughter who loves Jesus and loves ministry be with a guy like that? There's got to be a backstory because it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. But, Bill, I can tell you, 22 years as a clinician, counseling practice— having been a mentor of women for now 40 years. Yes, I'm old. I hear this story all the time where women are choosing really poor men to date because they're either neglecting them and women say, well, I can't do any better or there's no Christian guys out there. That's all that's there. So what that ended up doing, being with that guy is it prompted me to call a counselor in desperation. And up came the stories, up came the stories one by one. And it was grueling to do the work because memories of sexual abuse from my grandfather, the one here in Minnesota, had begun coming up for a few years before that. But I kind of kept pushing them down because I didn't know what to do with it. And nobody talked about it back in the 80s much. In fact, I remember a dean at my Bible college once said to me, because this was now in the mid-80s, I said, I've had all these memories of sexual abuse from my grandfather. And she said, it's starting to come out of the woodwork. That's how she said it. And I found that to be true. But nobody was talking about that stuff then very often. So I, again, more and more, I started saying, I've got to get this stuff up and out because I'm not okay. There's this churning deep inside. There's depression patterns, anxiety pattern, which we called those, those patterns, fear, not anxiety back in the day, but you know what I mean. And so I found a counselor. Yep. Eight years later, if you can believe that, because it was really horrific stuff But as the memories began to come up, here's what she would ask me. Where is Jesus in that story? And I used to fully believe that Jesus didn't go to places like that because some of my abuse bill wasn't just by my grandfather. It was in organized rings that were calculated to destroy my will and have me not be able to choose. And one day, and I remember it like it was yesterday, and this is the stuff that often brings up the tears, but Jesus was standing at my head, and I'd never, quote, seen Jesus. You know, that whole, people say, I saw this vision. I, that had never happened to me. But on that particular day, I don't know why it was any different that day, but it was like I was laying there, abuse was happening, and I saw Jesus standing at my head, and tears were coming down his cheeks for me. And I had never known that he was in it with me, I knew he would be there to clean me up afterwards and tell me I was his. But people have sometimes said, Michelle, like, where was a turning point in your life or whatever? And I go, it was that day. Like, I bonded with Jesus in the trauma. It's the strongest bond you can have as a trauma bond. And it was like the love of God went from my head to my heart. And all the Bible college information went from my head to my heart. When I'm like, you were there? Like, you didn't abandon me? in my abuse and you loved me through it like you went with me through that valley of the shadow of death and it's like my relationship with God went deeper and deeper and deeper into the place where my pain was so deep and it was a long process I'm not gonna lie it was a few it was a few years eight years of doing this work but literally that's what changed my life and it is not lost on me that now God would take me, a single woman, never been married. Okay, hello. I would disqualify disqualified myself if he said, Michelle, do you want to work with men? I'd go, I think you got the wrong girl. But he gave me this assignment. I want you to help turn the hearts of fathers. And I now count it such a profound privilege that, that I get to invite men into my home where I have my counseling office. And it's 12 men a year. What formation do you think we're in?
0: Um, I don't know. A circle. I was going to say a circle, but...
1: Yep, a circle. And I'm there with 12 men a year, and there's nowhere else I would rather be where I feel safe, where I feel heard, where I have a voice. Because two things happen with abuse is the enemy wants to make you believe that you have no choice and you have no voice. And so now I have choice. God has called me and chosen me to sit with men, and I get to say to them, I have clear boundaries with you, but I love you. I'm in it with you. I'm going to challenge you and I'm going to say you got to hear what God is saying to you is you've got to build a bridge to your heart. It's on you. Your heart has to turn to her first. And what I have found is I told you it's called the Abba's project and the Abba project. It's really Abba's project, but the truth is I'm the project and he is he's put his arms around me as an Abba dad and said, "I'm going to call you in the most unusual of ways to the tribe of men to bring them a lifeline and He he said to me, tell them that they're building a bridge to me as a father. And so dads, that's where my heart is at. And I'm the last person I would have ever chosen if I was God to have do this work. Mm -hmm. But I absolutely love it. And he's brought so much healing to my life, which I think is proven by the fact that I love being with men who are ready and willing to learn how to engage their daughter's hearts.
0: We're going to go to break in just a second here, Michelle, but just got a a listener um, chimed in with this. And he's addressing the daughters Mm -hmm. out there saying, dear daughters, please be direct with dad about wanting to spend more time with him. Some daughters talk in such a roundabout way that dad doesn't get the message. Yes. You think you were clear? He's clueless. Be kind, be nice, but don't make him guess at what you want. You know what? I'm going to
1: underscore that with another observation I've made is that men read lines. Women read between lines. So that dad is saying, you've got to be more clear. And I think women sometimes assume that the men in their lives, especially their dads, pick up the clues and they don't. So you have to say, dad, I want more time with you. Is Hmm. that okay?
0: All right, we're going to take a break. Dr. Michelle Watson in studio. When we come back, we're going to talk about dads and how important it is to look your daughters right square in the eyes. We'll be back in a minute. Michelle Watkins in the studio. She's the founder of the ABBA Project, and we're taking some questions. She's written a book called Dad, Here's What I Really Need From You. And one of the questions, uh, or no, one of the things I want to I ask you about from your book, Michelle, is how dads need to look their daughters in the eye.
1: Mm-hmm. You've heard the phrase that says, you know, eyes are the window to the soul,
0: mm-hmm. right? And I oh, think
1: yeah. sometimes, the research actually, I shouldn't say sometimes, this is probably most of the time, is that, The research shows that men feel most comfortable being shoulder-to-shoulder, that kind Mm -hmm. of orientation, and that a face-to-face interaction can feel more confrontational, and it might bring up kind of a sense of feeling combative. So I get that a lot of men may not feel as comfortable with eye-to-eye interactions, but if you want to reach your daughter's heart, this is really important to us because we pick up cues from you as men by how you're looking at us, where you're looking when you talk to us. So I think anyone can expand their skill set if they have intention to do so. So I would say, Dad, begin practicing looking at her longer. If it's only 10 seconds, great. Now try going up to 15 seconds the next time. Longer and longer till you can hold her, her gaze and look at her because she's getting a vision back from you of herself And so that eye-to-eye interaction, looking at her in the eyes, is vital to relationship building with your daughters.
0: All right, here's a question. I've had issues with alcohol. My daughter resisted me on that for many years, but I've been clean for 28. My wife passed away in 2008, and my relationship with my daughter is just so strained. And it's also keeping the grandkids away because of my past habits and her relationship with her mother. What do I do?
1: Hmm. That question comes up a lot. Sometimes that's the subject line that dads will send me is just, what do I do? And what I would say to this dad is that your daughter most likely is still harboring hurts from, it sounds like almost three decades ago, because you've been clean for 28. So we're talking before that, you were still drinking. I would ask, have you had a conversation with her about the impact back then of your drinking on her life? What did you miss? So that's the absence of the good things. And then what did you do that hurt her? So if you want to open up the pathway to her heart, I would encourage you to ask her the same question you just asked me. What do I do? You would say, what did I do? Is if you can get your daughter talking, it will open her heart up. And some daughters have said to me, I do not feel safe talking to my dad. The hurt is too profound. It's too big. It may need to start with writing. It could be in an email, it could be snail mail, it could be in a text. But if a dad goes to his daughter and communicates in one of those ways and says, I want to understand how I've hurt you, which could be I've missed things or I did things that are still hurting you. But if a dad humbles himself and says, I want to hear how I've hurt you, impacted you, whichever word you want to use, most often a daughter will respond to that question with openness because you're not defending, minimizing, or, or making excuses. And I would say, dads, don't defend. If she says, you were never at any of my games and you're thinking, what are you talking about? I was at like half of them all the time. Don't defend, but say, tell me more. See, I'm back to that tool question to learn. Mm-hmm. Tell me how I wasn't at your games. Well, maybe he was there but not fully present because he was drunk. So his version, I was there in body, but her version is, but you weren't really there with me. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So dads, keep asking questions to hear the hurt that you've caused, and I have found most often than not, it begins to build the bridge back.
0: Yeah. This is uh, brave work you're doing, Michelle, because it's very, very emotional. Yes. I just had a listener who... um I know he's dealing with a very troubled situation, but he says, I'm going to turn the program off right now because my daughters hate me and want nothing to do with me, and they haven't talked to me in three years.
1: Wow, yeah.
0: So, I mean, there yeah. there, there could be some, you know, manipulation from his ex-wife. You're right. And, mm-hmm. you know, what, what is what is he going to do? He's at wit's end. Yeah. And he's probably not listening. So I
1: please. wish he was listening right now because you know what I would say to him? You're right. We don't know the story But I'm going to say this to him and any dad right now who has an estranged relationship with his daughters because easily I would say 75% of the emails I get from dads are about estrangement. That's a really big thing. In fact, I've included that questionnaire in my next book, Let's Talk, Conversation Starters for Dads and Daughters, are 65 questionnaire scripts on top 65 topics, and it's on estrangement. Like, how do you build the bridge? A lot of dads say, I don't know where to go because it's too emotional. It hurts too much. And one suggestion that I've given to a lot of dads is if you could go buy a journal, order it online, go to Barnes & Noble, whatever, get a journal that you think she would like and begin to use it as a time capsule, meaning it's going to have dates and times and begin to write in it now knowing that by faith you're praying toward the day there will be reconciliation or restoration, and that will prove to her that you never turned your heart away even when she turned hers against you. It can be things that you're saying, here's what I thought of today that reminded me of you. Here's a show I watched, and it it brought back this memory. Here's what I'm praying for for you. Here's what I wish I could tell you right now. Here are my dreams for you. And I've had lots of men say, you know why I like that Dr. Michelle? It's because it's action. It gives me something to do right now when I'm hurting.
0: All right, Michelle, here's another listener. My dad died before I was born, and my stepdad was abusive towards me but great towards his children. Now, due to anxiety, my husband is close with our son, but he doesn't want doesn't seem to want a relationship with our daughter. How can I help him to want to? I don't want my daughter growing up wondering why her dad Likes her siblings, but not her.
1: Mm. Sounds like her husband was familiar or comfortable for her because he was like her dad. She was used to that kind of dynamic and was drawn to someone that felt familiar. Again, I don't say that with any judgment, just an observation. So she's saying, how can I help him? Which is always a tricky line for a lot of men where they say to their wives or ex-wives, don't tell me what to do because I'm not open to your input. But where I have seen a soft spot for a lot of men is when they hear the story of their wives, their own story. So it has maybe an implied message, right? Women read between lines. But I wonder if she could ever spend some time writing out her own story with her dad, both of her dads, right? Of her own hurt and longing for dad and letting her husband hear her story of when she was little. And I wonder if that might help to do a little bit of bridge building to her husband's heart now because it sounds like she's in a stuck place, a hard place. You know, maybe they could even do couples counseling together on that where they could work on their relationship because my guess is he has some of his own woundedness around maybe his mama that blocks him from his daughter because that's where I find a lot of men get stuck too is they're getting triggered by their daughters at certain ages because of unfinished business with their own mom.
0: Right, I think we might have time for one more question. A listener writes in and says, I was widowed 17 years ago. My 34-year-old daughter accuses me of being self-centered and rejects her Christian roots. She's more concerned about learning about her deceased mom than a relationship with me. She demands, with no respect, for all my efforts to help her family or 15 years of service to Christ. How do you respond?
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a deep end question, isn't it, which I love. The thing I would say first is, Dad, you, I can tell that you want to build a bridge to her heart. And I noticed that you said she wants to know about her deceased mom. What is powerful about that is that's going to be your inroad to her heart, mm-hmm. is you've got something you can talk about that she wants to talk about. So truthfully, you're going to have to set aside your agenda or your need for respect, and honor her where she's at, and hear her stories of impact from you, because that whole rejection of her Christian roots thing is really common, especially with millennials. It's a really big deal. And I'm saying, dads, you're modeling God as a father to your kids. And how many times has God as a father, been disrespected by his kids, pushed away, not honored, those kind of, or misrepresented. So really, you're going to say, "God is a father, you've got to coach me." to be able to represent you to my daughter and hear her story rather than, again, defending your own
0: position. Mm -hmm. Michelle, it's been really nice having you here. Thank you so much for coming in. Dr. Michelle Watson has been my guest. Her book is called Dad. Here's what I really need from you. It's a guide for connecting with your daughter's heart. And we're going to take a little break when we come back. uh, We got lots more. Be back in a minute.
1: Listening to Bill Arnold's
2: encore presentation Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a Special Repeat Performance.
0: Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to be uh, getting a chance to talk to Kimberly Wagner today. She's an author and speaker. She's written a book uh, called Fierce Women The Power of a Soft Warrior. Hmm. Can't wait to find out more about that book and her story. Kimberly, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much, Bill. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, no kidding. I want to start by hearing a little bit about um, your personal story um, and your relationship with your hubby.
2: Okay. Uh, Do you want me to start at the beginning or where we are now? What do you want to hear? Well,
0: I'd like to hear a little bit of the the beginning story as well.
2: Okay. Well, my husband and I uh, met in Bible college, He was actually already pastoring, and he was about to finish up his schooling, and we happened to meet in Greek class, and um, he, in fact, in his first conversation with me, he really turned me off. (laughs) It wasn't love at first sight, and uh, he came across to me when he uh, kind of in a way that I thought he was cocky and um he just asked me what are you doing in greek class we never even had a conversation before so that's his his that's his opening line me. <laughs> right yeah. right and so me being uh my prideful young brash fierce woman self i just i i looked at him and and i it through my mind i was thinking what are you doing asking me that? Do you think a woman can't take, study the original language of the New Testament? You know, can't take a class like this. But um, fast forward to where we are now, we have a precious relationship. That um, the, first, the first 15 years of our marriage were tough, were rocky, were um, filled with a lot of heartache on both sides. We describe it as um, we reached the point probably about seven years into our marriage where we were pretty much living like roommates, just kind of trying to tolerate one another, and yet he was pastoring. So it was not a healthy, um, we were not in a healthy place to be leading our church. He. Uh, he did eventually step away from pastoring for three years um, during that time because he just said he is a man of integrity. And we had tried, we had gone to marriage counseling, we had tried so many things. And he finally got to the point that he said, look, I cannot continue trying to pastor a church and, and lead uh, a body of people when we cannot get our marriage Right. And so uh we went through then a season just of really um for me it was a very dark very hard uh 3 years as he was out of the pastorate and and we were struggling and I did not know whether we would make it on some days and um uh, Bill we were we were caught in what I call uh the fierce woman fearful man cycle where do you want me to talk about that? Oh and you can yes. Interrupt oh me at oh no 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 no. no. <laughs> uh,
0: that's so interesting. So I want you to just please keep talking.
2: Okay. Um, so, in this cycle, uh, and, and usually it, it's um, from a woman who has good intentions, even, and maybe she's she may be passionate for Christ and know the Word, even, but. She can be a little intense and intimidating to the man. I've found that men are generally intimidated by women, even some women who are quiet and appear to be uh, very non controlling, non manipulative. But men can be intimidated by women. And go ahead. No, Kimberly, (laughs) why is that? Great question. I think that um, part of it is just in the um, fallen condition of man right now because God created the man and gave him a high calling and role as the leader, the spiritual leader, even to represent Christ here on earth in the sense that um, Ephesians 5 verses 22 through 33 talks about where the the man takes on the the role in a sense of representing Christ and the woman represents the church and so in our interpersonal interaction with one another it's to actually give a display a picture of the gospel to the watching world well the enemy hates that and so the enemy is going to attack that um, order that God's put in place, that type of relationship, the world definitely is mocking it and mm-hmm. it. And so, but then also one reason men may be intimidated is because women have, um, especially in our country since the '60s, especially. We have grabbed onto the reins of leadership. We have said, look, anything you can do, I can do better. And um, I'm not saying that is true for all women at all, but that is very much in the air. The feminist movement came in three distinct waves, and now we're actually seeing another wave of feminism erupt. And um, it's, so it's in the air we breathe it's in our sin nature as women um and then you have the other component bill that you know i'll just touch on this barely but i'm touching on it because it is such a reality and a burden for me in the church um at least one out of four women, statistics tell us have been in some way sexually assaulted by a man And so the reaction of a woman to that, uh, whether it was when she was a child, a teen, uh, or an adult, her reaction is either fight or flight. And um, in my case, it came out as being fierce. I, I am never going to let a man harm me again. I may not can fight against him physically, but I can verbally. And so men and some ways seem to sense that, and um, they they can be intimidated by that. And then they go into a sinful response of passivity because that's not what God intends for the man to do. So the other side of that cycle that I was talking about with the, the fierce woman is the fearful man where he he's even too fearful to come alongside his wife and even pray for her, or lead her spiritually, or or lead her in decisions that need to be made in the home, or with their children, or with parenting issues. I'll let you ask me a question uh, if it's, you want. I, I'm
0: I'm just I've, I got to tell you, Kimberly, I'm just riveted by what uh, you're saying. Um, so when I uh, think about what you said about the abuse. So if you're a young child and you're growing into a young adult and there's some Mm -hmm. abuse or, or, or role models that weren't healthy and you start to Mm -hmm. develop a defensiveness and maybe that turns into fierceness. So you, you go into the game with your, you know, uh, with that, this fierce attitude, which, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so maybe we should talk about the definition of a strong woman um, who's not fierce. Is is is, fierce—are you saying fierce is good or bad?
2: I'm saying—and in the book, I give kind of a um, a description of there's a beautifully fierce woman, and then there's a destructive fierce woman. And I I give those contrasts because God created women to be strong, actually, to be a strong and worthy— uh, complement to that masculine man that he created. So God's, uh, God delights in strong women um, it, when that strength comes under the control of the Holy Spirit and is is under the authority of Scripture and surrendered and submitted to God Almighty. But the destructive fierce woman she is living for herself she is her opinions originate from her intellect and uh, she is forceful with it she is um, brash and arrogant and prideful in contrast to that the um, beautifully fierce woman she can be tenacious to stand for truth but she does that in a humble winsome way um, she is um, a prayer warrior. She will um, grab onto truth and, and live that out in her life, even when it is hard to do. Um, r- right now, Bill, in our lives, I don't know if you're aware, but um, four years ago, my husband became ill two years ago. Um, He became partially paralyzed from a rare neurological disease. And so I am thankful for the fierceness that God placed within me to be a caregiver now for my husband. Because that does take resilience and strength and um, an endurance that... a woman who would just um, maybe wilt like a wallflower um, might not be able to have. And that doesn't come from me at all, so I don't mean to imply that. It comes from the grace of God at work. And it's just like in James 4, uh, 6, I believe, but where we are promised that um God he opposes the proud but he will give grace to the humble so when we cry out to him as a fierce woman God I need your help I I cannot do this on my own I can't do this in my own strength will you give me your grace your strength and and that's when he does that work in a fierce woman of of turning her from a destructive force in the home or in the relationship with her husband, into hopefully a, a woman who looks like Christ.
0: I am so sorry, Kimberly, for your husband's condition, and I'm so blessed that he has you in his life, caring for well, him.
2: I am. Well, you know what? I am day. blessed. Well, I am really blessed by him, and and we have told many people that if. If we were at the place now that we were before God stepped in and moved in our marriage, our marriage would not have survived this storm that this season we're mm-hmm. in. Would not have survived. But I am so blessed by him as a patient. He is a kind, godly man. And I am so it is sweet. a privilege privilege to serve him.
0: That's so sweet. It sounds like he's not being irritable or He's or, not. Or, yeah, yeah, he's he yeah. sounds like a beautiful man that's just yielding to the care you're giving him and mm-hmm. just being so grateful. It's just beautiful.
2: Well, and Bill, let me mention, too, I don't know if you're aware of this, but when he first became ill, we were working together on a book for Moody Publishers called Men Who Love Fierce Women. And so it's the companion book to the book I wrote for women. This book is for husbands, and you can hear my husband's heart in that book. It is incredible how he really encourages men who are in that fearful position, that passive state, and maybe for years they felt like their wife has just beat them down, and they they try so hard to be this noble, godly man, and yet they're afraid to say anything to their wives. They always feel like they can never say the right thing. They can never do the right thing. And so that book is, is a helpful companion to the Fierce Women book for husbands.
0: You know, Kimberly, I was on your blog earlier today and just l- listening to some of the people that are contributing and asking you questions, and it's just so heartbreaking. I mean, this gentleman yeah. that said, I was... Uh, pummeled by judgment condemnation disapproval Mm. manipulation inflexibility gossip betrayal and eventually complete detachment and i Mm. go oh my goodness your heart just breaks and uh it's Mm -hmm. just so sad and you are so gentle and so tender and so loving um this is why it's just so exciting to talk to you i do need to take a short break um kimberly wagner is my guest and the amazing book she's written is called Fierce Women, The Power of a Soft Warrior. We'll take 90 seconds and be right back.
1: You're listening to Bill Arnold's Encore presentation.
0: Aren't you glad we're back? 12 minutes until the top of the hour. Kimberly Wagner is my guest. She's written a book called Fierce Women, The Power of a Soft Warrior. And Kimberly, really, if fierceness—if—if if you are listening, if, a, if someone's listening, and they think, "Hmm, fierceness is my pattern," um, how do you how do you take your fierceness and put it under the control of the Holy Spirit?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that is a, first of all recognition of where you recognize that um, you may begin your morning in the word and in prayer and then an hour into your day you've already snapped at someone or you've you've harmed someone with your tongue or or, or you've belittled your husband. It it begins with confessing that, um, asking God's forgiveness, but also going to God specifically, asking for help with that. It also helps. I have people in my life that I've given them permission to to speak truth to me. Like Galatians six one and two talks about coming alongside um, a, a friend or or an individual who's um, caught up in sin, and it may not even be um, a blatant sin, but but you begin to recognize that maybe just your tone of voice, your facial expressions, your um the the way that you um ask questions seem more like an interrogation to your husband um it it is beginning to uh recognize those things uh, sometimes by just listening to what you, others are saying to you. If, if you are constantly seeing explosions going on around you in your relationship with others, maybe the common denominator is you or me, you know, as, as I, I saw that happening with me uh, back as a young pastor's wife.
0: What if I say, what if you want to suggest that you're in a destructive cycle and then, mm-hmm. and then mentioning that causes more destruction.
2: Yeah, you know, I Leroy and I have a, a marriage video that um, Revive Our Hearts actually produced. This um, that ministry, it's called Kim's Marriage Miracle. I don't know why it's called that. I didn't title it, but anyway. And we recommend for couples to pull that up and just watch that together because Leroy and I both talk about the cycle. We talk about, uh, we're just real honest with things that happened in our marriage and what God did and invariably, Bill, when either a man or a woman watches that by just, it's by the gracious power of God when people see themselves in that video and they'll say that's us that's me and it is an open door then for couples to talk to one another about yeah i i, I saw myself and, and just have an honest humble conversation now there are some um men that it breaks my heart they've They've written in, like you read one there on the blog. I've I've had them write in and say, "I bought my wife the book and she will not read it." Mm-hmm. And that and and all I can say is go to prayer on that and and continue to try and love your wife well. Leroy addresses that in his book, "Men Who Love Fierce Women," to speak to the men about you know how the role of the man to try and step in and break that cycle, which is very, very, very hard for one person to do it when the other is unwilling. But you know, that's what happened with Leroy and I. He didn't, uh, both of us were pointing the finger at each other saying, you're the one that's wrong. You're the one that needs to get right. You're the one that needs to change. And it took really God opening my eyes to that. When I was in Titus chapter two, God opening my eyes to that. And once he did, I, I just began writing out everything that the Lord started showing me that I ways I had wronged Leroy, habits I had and how I talked to him and treated him, not listening to him, not respecting him. And I, I wrote all of that out and I got together with him and and let him read through that. And I was scared to death for him to read that, Bill, because I thought he's going to turn into this mean, ugly monster now that I'm confessing where I see that I've been wrong and he's going to use it against me. But he didn't. He didn't. But it took really more than two years for that cycle to change between us. And part of it was just because. He was so afraid to take the lead. He was so afraid to be the man God created him to be. But he watched me for two years. He watched the changes that God was doing in me and the way that I was no longer treating him the same. I was beginning to show him respect. I was giving him a safe place to talk even though he wasn't coming out of his shell very quickly, he was still very fearful to try and give his opinion or to try and take the lead. But, um, it did happen. And, and once it happened, Oh, what a beautiful transformation took place in our marriage. And, uh, it it is, it has been so, so good. Um, and now we've, we've, been on the other side of that marital misery now for over ooh, over 20 years. I I'm le- maybe 25 years. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm losing track of how long we've been married, but it, it has been precious and good. And that those habits, those that distract, destructive cycle, can be broken, mm-hmm. and you can be set free from that. And we have lived in that for decades now, and yeah. it has been so good.
0: Kimberly, we only have a couple of minutes left, so I'm going to ask you to answer quickly. Um, I want to go back to this time when you said you were sort of detached from each other, yet still living under the yeah. same roof, roof, kind of yeah. functioning as roommates. And uh, was there support at church, or did you have to show up and pretend that things were good, or were you able to live transparency, or were you kind of faking your way through it?
2: The at church, people didn't know, okay. but I did reach out to other pastors' wives, and, and they begin to speak truth to me, and yes. that was a huge
0: help. Yes, so encouragement for listeners that m- might think, boy, I'm in kind of this situation, I'm a little detached, and I don't want to be this way, and things are not maybe getting better, so maybe offer a word of enc- encouragement and or a prayer.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'd love to pray right now, and maybe in the prayer Please. they'll be encouraged. I hope, Father, I thank you so much that you are the God of the impossible, things that we think could never change—darkness um, and destruction and misery in a marriage that looks like it, it's hopeless. That's where we were. And I thank you so much, Father, that you were gracious and merciful just to move in and soften my heart and change my heart. And then you did that for Leroy as well. I want to lift up to you women right now who who really may not see their role in their marriage misery and men who may be just scared to death to even bring up the issue to their wife of of how their wives make them feel, I, I ask Father that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give them hope, hope for what you can do, that you would take the words of scripture and and just stir their hearts. With with truths from Colossians three, from um, the picture of the marriage from Ephesians five, um, just just to give them hope for the redemptive purposes that you have and what you can do, and I ask that you would do that, Lord Jesus, for your great name's sake, because as we as believers display to the world a picture of the gospel. You will be glorified, and, and I just ask that you would do that in marriages, in people's lives who are listening right mm. now. In Jesus' name.
0: Kimberly, you are awesome, and tell Leroy I think he's awesome. <laughs> I will tell him. Would you do me, that for me? Let awesome. him know that I think he's awesome. <laughs> I
2: will. I All will. Right.
0: And uh, what a delight. I appreciate you coming on, and I would love to talk to you again, so maybe we could do this uh, one more time.
2: Sure. That sounds good, Bill. Thank you. All
0: right. Kimberly Wagner, Wagner has been my guest. Her book is called Fierce Women The Power of a Soft Warrior. That wraps up the show for the day and for the week. Thank you so much for being such a great fans of Faith Radio and supporting, listening, caring. We love you. It's now time to uh, ring the bell.